welcome back for some hate the player not the game the first weekly episode of this spring semester new time new place on the a stream now no more c stream for me but i got a packed show for you today Got some stuff on the sign ceiling scandal involving the Houston Astros and Boston Red Sox specifically. Got some looking in the general direction of the NBA and frowning it out a little something special for you. Not really sports related, but very much me related. So first off, getting started with our first segment, sign stealing. That segment is going to stay no matter how long this sandal goes. It's going to replace what I usually do, which is talk about college football because baseball is coming back and it is coming back with the vengeance as uh, the league really has never been talked about more in the offseason than it is right now with this huge scandal going on. So getting it started, just a little bit of background here. There are the problem really isn't that they are stealing signs. That's always been a part of the game. You got a guy on second, like decoding what the catcher's doing and relaying it back to the batter. That's like part of the game of baseball. That means that the catcher needs to do a better job of covering their signs. But the problem relies in that they're using video means to do so. So the MLB granted video replay rooms. As part of the expansion for replay review a few years back, that, of course, being a huge step forward for the league. But the problem is the Astros were using that to seal signs. So speculation began when the Dodgers thought the Astros were sealing signs in the 2017 World Series. So the uh, Cleveland Indians also caught an Astro employee taking photos of their dugout in the 2018 ALDS that sprouted a lot of controversy and the New York Yankees asked the MLB to investigate the whistling sounds that they were hearing that same year but of course most of the stuff involved with really circumstantial evidence that everybody knows what it is is the trash can so that first came out when Rosenthal Ken Rosenthal published a bombshell story with Mike Fires as the whistleblower from that 2017 Astros team so uh just I know a lot of people are giving fires flack saying it's not really a part of the game to whistle blow on your old team like that. But I think everybody in baseball should really respect the guy for putting himself in the line of fire like that, being able to take that heat in the name of getting things right in the game of baseball. So uh, that's where the trash can allegations started. And the Astros executive asked for help from scouts to steal signs in an email. So as a result, after the investigation from Rob Manfred and the rest of the MLB, they were forced to forfeit their draft picks in the first and second rounds for 2020 and 2021. That's not a huge deal in baseball considering just how long the draft is and how much variation there can be, but it still is a hard consequence of them. And their GM, Lunau, and coach, A.J. Hintz, were suspended for a year. But then, just after that, Astros owner, Jim Crane, fired them the same day. And I don't think you could have done anything else if you're Crane. Because those guys are always going to have the stench of 
this scandal on them. And I don't, I'm not sure if those guys are ever going to get a chance in the league again. Maybe in some sort of role, but as a GM and coach, never again. Um, further fallout, uh, Boston Red Sox coach Alex Cora, who was a bench coach on that 2017 Astros team and allegedly one of the major perpetrators of getting the uh, system set up. And Carlos Beltran, who was one of the main players who started the scheme, um, were both fired from their managerial positions at the Boston Red Sox and New York Mets, respectively. Now more looking to, into a buzzer scheme of sorts directly relating to Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman. Although they have declined the claims, people are starting to think that the players mm-hmm. might have been wearing buzzers and are lying about it now. Um, but as of right now, no further investigations going on with the MLB. I'm sure it'll take something else to get them rolling again. But uh, in my opinion, uh, really... I don't think this was enough. I think that 2017 World Series title should be vacated, but not given to the Dodgers. The Dodgers still didn't win the series, and typically when you have these vacated things, you just got to pretend it didn't happen, even though everybody knows it happens. you It's just a symbolic thing. Take away their rings. like It doesn't really give them the satisfaction. It really makes you know that they cheated to win that championship. Um, I think there needs to be more thorough investigations into players, like I just said. Um, I don't think that's going to happen without some more whistleblowers. Maybe something more uh, more concrete can come from that. But uh, And the video replay room, I don't know how this was not monitored by the MOB before, but it, uh, I think it always needs to have an official from the MOB in there. The league can afford this, and... Uh, just a scandal this big needs to really push the league to um, to really invest in stopping these sign ceiling. So this is a pretty bad season scandal for baseball, but this uh, season will be a lot more interesting to watch because of it. The Astros are really now the de facto villains of the MLB. I can't believe I'm saying that, that they're going to be more hated by me than the Yankees and Dodgers. Um, but really, they're just horribly, horribly done. What the Astros and allegedly the Red Sox did has no place in the game of baseball. Um, sign ceilings, again, always part of the game. But what they did was taking it too far. And uh, they cost a lot of pitchers. Um, their spots in the league, they were designated for assignment or sent down to the MILB after. So... I think the Astros need to face a lot harsher penalties because they ruined a few players' careers. And I say ruined subjectively. They're, they could have gone down after the next time or could have had no factor in their performance at all. But it's still, I think they need to have a lot harsher penalties. All right, that is all I have for sign stealing. Next week will be a little more happier as we get into previewing the 2020 MLB season and spring training coming up surprisingly fast. Um, got a lot of stuff going on with Nolan Arenado. Going to give a shout out to Derek Jeter and Larry Walker on um, making the Hall of Fame. I still think Barry Bond should get in eventually, but not this year, Barry. But uh, after the break, looking in the general direction of the NBA, You've been listening to Hate the Player, Not the Game on KCLU 88.1 FM.
Welcome back again to Hate the Player, Not the Game. Thank you for tuning in on this cold, cold Wednesday morning. Uh, one thing I will never get used to with Mid-Missouri being from California is the weather. And just the wind, the cold, the, everything's so spontaneous. So give me back my 60-degree winters in San Jose. But uh, now... Not talking about that. We got looking in the general direction of the NBA. So a long time since the last one. That was early December. So a lot has changed around the association. So there is a lot to cover. Um, starting with the Eastern Conference this time. Let's look at the first place and by a large margin. The Milwaukee Bucks. So they have been on quite the run recently, it is safe to say, as they are now sitting at 38-6 and six as of a day ago. But, um, man, this team is just so much fun to watch. Giannis is balling out constantly and uh, just everything. Check that. They are 39-6 and six now. They got another win the other day. But... um. Giannis Antetokounmpo is just balling out nonstop. Um, I think he's even better than last year, to be honest. I think the only chance he doesn't win the MVP is if another player has an even better year than he did. But um, 30 points per game, 12 rebounds per game. What else could you ask from such a great big man like that? Um, even alongside him, you have Chris Milton and Eric Bledsoe. Both over 15 points a game as well. But the Bucks really, what they strive on is production up and down the lineup. They have a lot of depth on that team behind Giannis. Um, so I think they can uh, wide ride this win streak as long as they can. But uh, it would not be the worst idea to do some low management ahead of the playoffs to ensure they go as far as possible. I know they didn't do a lot of that last year, and it ended up Working out fairly good for them, only narrowly losing to the Raptors in six. But uh, they're up a lot of games right now, specifically eight on the second place heat. So uh, I think if they get any further ahead, especially late in the season, you got to start thinking about that because it's not going to make a lot of difference going into the playoffs. Of course, you still want your guys meshing well going into the playoffs, but... Always got to worry about their health. Um, Giannis is pretty bulletproof most of the time, but uh, still, big, big worry for me. Would hate to see such a great season go down because of an injury to such a fantastic player. All right, moving on to the surprise second place Miami Heat. They are 30 and 13 right now, eight games back of the Bucks, but that's really not too much followed their own. The Bucks are just that good, but uh, definitely the surprise of the season so far as a team for me is they just continue to have production up and down the lineup similar to the Bucks. I think it says a lot about how the NBA game is changing, even especially in the Eastern Conference, that both of the top teams in the uh, Eastern Conference and even the team below them Two teams below them, Toronto and Boston, just have depth all down the lineup. Just everybody can contribute. Jimmy Butler, of course, has been a fantastic addition. Um, Tyler Hero looks like one of the best rookies this season, providing 13 points per game off the bench in just 28 minutes. But um, 
really, I think the key factor in this Heat run has been Bam Adebayo. He's come out of nowhere for me. I had, I honestly, I'm going to be completely honest, I did not really know he existed before this year. But he's been a great big man so far and a key piece of, to the success of the Heat. Um, I think this team is both to last and should have a strong second half of the season. But um, just got to stay healthy. But I think the Heat can go far, at least to the semifinals is where I would hope for the Heat to be, unless they match up against a team that can upset them in the first round. So a team I have not been talking about too much this year, the Indiana Pacers are sitting at 28-16 and 16 and uh, 6 in the Eastern Conference, just two and a half games back of the second-place seat. So they had a big win over the Nuggets Sunday behind DeMontis Sabonis' 22 points and 15 rebounds. Uh, speaking of the power forward, he's been having a great year, leading the team in rebounds with 13 a game and 18 points per game. Um. He provides a huge amount of support to the team on defense as well, which is really where I feel the Pacers can distance themselves from some other teams in the league. Um, TJ Warren has also been great leading the team in points with 18.2 points per game. Malcolm Brogdon was a fantastic addition, bringing him over from the Bucks. I know he's a pretty expensive player, but you got to do that at some point to draw players into a place like Indianapolis and, uh, keep them there and really make a run to go deep in the playoffs. Um, Warren and Sabonis um, have also have been uh, doing great alongside him. He's been a great ball distributor for the, uh, for the Pacers so far this year. Um, and Oladipo currently not healthy, but if he comes back and he comes back really strong, I think the Pacers can contend with anybody in this Eastern Conference. Eastern Conference, the Raptors aren't as good as they were last year. I mean, the Bucks are just continuing to be fantastic. But the Pacers, depending on who they play, I think could make a deep run as well. Um, and then finally, lastly, for the Eastern Conference, let's look at the interesting story of the Brooklyn Nets. So they are currently 18-24, and 24, six games under 500. 19 and a half games back of the Bucks and sitting at eighth place in the Eastern Conference. That, of course, because the Eastern Conference is very much right now the top six teams and then a bit of a gap to the Magic and then a huge gap to the Nets. And then the rest of the conference is just really bad, to be honest. Um, they're a complete mess of a team right now. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, Duran is taking up a max contract, seeing on the bench injured. Still don't know. I mean, you want to drag in somebody good like that, and I understand that this year isn't really the year the Nets are making a push, but it still hurts to just see somebody as good as Durant sitting on the bench like that. Of course, the best to him getting back from his injury, but really just need him back. Uh, Kyrie Irving is, a, like, not the best point guard this season, and a team that was the sixth seed last year and really contended with the 76ers in every game even though they lost that series 4-1. to one. Um, Right now, six games under 500. Um, yeah, to put the point even further in their last game, uh, he sat with a tight hamstring against the 76ers. That game ended up actually being close, and he could have been a, a key factor in a huge win 
over one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Um, overall, this whole Kyrie thing is already rough in Brooklyn, but once they get Durant back next year and really start to gel, and if they keep all of the role players around producing, um, they should be really good. Um, especially Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris are still as good as they were last year. You got guys like Jared Allen, who are just fantastic as a big man. But um, I think the Nets are going to need great production from Kyrie in order to go far at all this year. All right, since I spent so long on the Eastern Conference, time to move on to a shorter-than-usual Western Conference segment. The Los Angeles Lakers lost huge to the Celtics on Monday, 139 to 107, moving them to 34 and 9. Still first place in the Western Conference, though, behind LeBron James's 25 points per game and 11 assists per game, despite Anthony Davis's injury troubles. Um, Anthony Davis has been sitting out a lot lately. I know he came back for that. Celtics game, but um, I think that really shows what the Lakers that the Lakers have put much into those two baskets, and that if you lose one, your production's just going down substantially. They've been losing; they lost uh, two of their last ten, which I mean isn't bad, but considering where they were, has been like not as good. And especially before that, they were not doing good. Um, but uh. They just need to get a lot more good pieces around Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Um, the pieces they have right now are doing good for where their production is supposed to be at. But in the event of even an injury to LeBron, I think the Lakers will be in huge trouble, especially with the Clippers. Clippers only three and a half games back on the Lakers right now. And that's with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George really taking them stuff, taking it slow. I don't think they care too much about the regular season as long as they get into the playoffs and have good seating and good home court. I mean, the diff one and two right now, I don't think the Lakers and Clippers are going to be battling too much for that because no matter what in that series, they would be playing in the Sable Center. So I don't see them like having a huge run to see whose logo is going to be at midcourt during the playoffs. All right, moving on. To the uh, resurgent New Orleans Pelicans, they have been doing pretty well lately, 6-4 and four in their last 10. I know that doesn't sound too impressive, but this is a team that is now sitting at 17-27. and 27. Um, So it just goes to show you how they've been for the uh, whole season. Um, so it looks like Brandon Ingram has finally found his footing in Louisiana, um, controlling the offense and even getting an insane amount of rebounds for a small forward. Um, really what you see in a guy like this is, uh, in Los Angeles, he wasn't put in too good of a position to succeed. And now that he's in New Orleans and he really is like the point of this New Orleans offense alongside Drew Holiday, um, you, you're really seeing him start to come into his own as a really good player. I don't think you'll ever see him be one of the best players in the league. But he is just a fantastic player right now. Drew Holiday also is a 20 points per game guy. And just he's out six assists per game. Um, so, of course, that's the production you expect from a guy like Drew Holiday. He's always going to give you that. And uh, just a fantastic player. Lonzo Ball also 
really solid. Another guy might not be worth that second-round pick the Lakers used for him, but considering what New Orleans gave up for him, I mean, with Anthony Davis, but of course you got more back in that. Um, it looks like a great piece that New Orleans got and uh, looks to be really starting to excel lately in the Pelican system. Um, of course, the big thing, Zion Williamson is debuting tonight against the Spurs, but I think people really need to exercise patience with the power forward considering he's coming off a really harsh injury and has not played since the preseason (sighs) don't get me wrong I still think he can be really good for the rest of the season but I would not be surprised to see him ease into that more I don't think he's going to come out tonight and be the best player on the floor although it would be really entertaining if he was and I sure hope he is but I think people just need to sit and relax I think he's going to come in and be a really good player for the rest of the season, assuming he doesn't have any more injury troubles. But that man just uh, needs to keep doing what he's doing, and I'm sure he'll get back to his Duke performances. All right, that is all I have for looking in the general direction of the NBA. More to come next week for that, especially a lot more Clipper Sox. Man, there has been... A lot going on with that other show in L.A. lately. But uh, after the break, something a little special. Make sure to stay tuned to KCOU 88.1 FM. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to... Hate the player, not the game. I am your host, Lucas Owen. So it's something a little different than usual. But for this last segment this week and next week, as uh, there's not nearly enough time to fit all of this talk in, um, I'm going to talk about Survivor Winners at War, the new season coming up and previewing the game a little bit. I mean, if you know me, you know I'm a huge fan of Survivor. Got a... Gotta love every season of the show, except for a few. I do not like a select few, but that is a conversation for another day. Of course, the season does not premiere for a few more weeks, but it has been rapidly approaching, so I figure now is a better time than ever to look at the first half of the cast and preview the game, especially since E.T. Canada and their host, Sanjita Pantel, has released fantastic interviews with each member of the cast. So starting off, let's look at good old Massachusetts Robert Boston Rob Mariano and Amber's husband, of course, Amber Mariano being on this season as well. Now, looking at his cast interview, it looks like he's well prepared well for this game. But uh, I don't think that's going to affect it too much as I think what he's going into this game with and his reputation as a very flashy player and somebody who's had a really dominating game, it's going to lead to him having a huge target on his back. And I do not see him getting too far at all. I mean, just there's no player that you want to go to the end with like Boston Rob, because especially in a season like this, I think he's going to win it easily if he gets to the end. Um, 
But uh, I think he has a little bit of a chance of eking out a run in the pre-merge. But after that, I do not really think he has too much looking forward. I mean, the Edge of Extinction is returning, so he always has a chance to battle his way back into the game. But um, except for that, I don't, I don't see him getting too far. He's just too much of a threat. So I think the other players would be very misguided if they let him get anywhere near the end of this game. Moving on to the next interview, though, it's Amber, Rob's wife and winner of Survivor All-Stars alongside her then-boyfriend, Rob Mariano, but now husband. Um, I hate to say it, but I think Amber is really a victim of guilty by power couple in that because she is going in as Rob's wife, you can't really change that going into this game. They've had that relationship for so long. Um they're really seen as a duo in votes. I could be very wrong, but I see that working against her every day of the week. Um, if you're on a tribe with just Amber and not Rob, you're going to see that and think she's just going to flip to the other side. So you just got to get rid of her, to be honest. Um, she's one of the few players in the season, though, without a big ego at all, of course, being from so long ago. And really, that's how she won the game, was just being likable. Um, she let Rob take all of the hits, and she won the game by kind of standing behind him and just being the better better person to vote for. Um, so that's going to work for her all season if she gets um, far, especially if Rob goes out early. I hate to say it. Again, I hate to say it, but her husband falling out of the game could be the best thing to happen to her. Because once that happens, she's on her own, which gives her less security, of course. But it also means that people won't see her as much as much of a threat as she is. Um, so if that happens, and especially if he somehow works his way back from the edge of extinction late into the game and they do end up uniting again, um, I think Amber has a great shot in this game as long as Rob goes out early and she does not for being guilty by association. All right, next up, moving on from the Marianos, we got super fan Adam Klein, winner of Survivor Millennials versus Generation X. Can't believe I'm saying this, but a winner, especially probably my favorite winner, is coming into this game vastly underrated, and Adam is 100% the player I feel is going to slip under the radar with the other big names on his tribe. He seems like he's coming in hot off of his last win and what people have said about him, him being really an emotional vote and only winning because of the people he was up against, but that's exactly how you win this game. Um... Really, what he does is manage his threat level perfectly. He just skates by and gets to the end really unnoticed in the terms of getting votes for him. But just everybody knows what he's doing as a player. He played a fantastic game in Millennials versus Gen X. So if he repeats that, of course, I see him going very far. Um, that could also be a challenge, though, because... These players are going to respect a really flashy game, and that really is not Adam's game. I mean, he played a few idols and um, had that big advantage, but uh, that's not really the game a lot of people expect. People expect blindsides just nonstop and moves being made, and uh, I don't think Adam's really that type of player. Adam 
more just rolls with the flow. Um, so that's a question we're going to have to wait to see for a while, assuming he gets far. But, um, of course, I think he has a good shot in this game. Um, moving on, let's look at Kansas's own Danny Boatwright, winner of Survivor Guatemala, one of the most brutal seasons in the show of Survivor history. Um, Danny is another one of those old school players who played a fantastic game in her season, but said season was very different than the modern season of Game of Survivor. Um, she played a great game, staying under the radar and being very sneaky in terms of getting production to not really expose what she was doing to other players. But uh, that is directly contrasting the mo more boisterous gameplay that has been winning lately. I mean, back in Survivor Guatemala, that was the first season that hidden immunity idols were even a thing. And she didn't even play it. Her uh, tribe mate Gary did. So the one good thing that the last season Island of the Idols has shown us is that a pure social player can still win the game if they manage things right. And that really is what Danny did in Guatemala and how she can play if she gets far in this next season. Um, overall, if she can get past the pre-merge and people don't see her as too much of a threat and uh, she works her way in with a good group, I think she has as much of a shot as anybody to go far in this game. I think she definitely is looking at a big run. Um, all right, looking next is a controversial winner of Survivor, Heroes versus Healers versus Hustlers. Apologies if I got that name wrong. I always switch those three around. Benderbergen. Um, I'm going to be completely honest when I say that Ben has not a big chance of getting far in this game without re relying on the edge of extinction. Um, he would not have been the winner even close. He would have been voted out easily in that top four um, without the fire-making challenge twist, which, of course, debuted in that season. Our debut, excuse me, I'm not speaking English well today. Um, so I do not see hit the other players letting him get too far because he also has a pendant finding idols. I think he could come out and play a good game, but I would put the odds more on him going out before the merge because other players saw how he navigated his way to the end simply by never really being at risk. So as long as the other players can vote him out, uh, without any twists in his pocket, I think they are. All right, moving on now to an older season than that, but not very old this season happening in the last 10 years. Survivor Philippines and the only winner to go to every tribal council, Denise Stapley. I think Denise comes in this game in a very peculiar position as she is almost a very conspicuous underdog. For her first run, she had to work through an incredible amount of tough situations, but also did so from a good position of never being in true trouble. She managed her uh, group very perfect, very great, to the point where she never, she always had somebody in front of her. And if she can do that, like, with, use that same strategy, excuse me, as she did in the Philippines, I think she can go far. Uh, but in game is really what's gonna make or break her chances in this game um depending what happens there i mean the end game is really where a lot of survivor is decided you gotta get yourself there and then everything is off the table with less people in the game 
All right, I am going to take a short break to catch my breath. Thank you for listening to Hate the Player, Not the Game on KCOU 88.1 FM. Welcome back to Hate the Player and Not the Game. Of course, we are previewing a few players in the upcoming Survivor Winners at War, probably one of the most hyped seasons ever of the show Survivor. All right, so moving on, next up is Ethan Zahn, winner of Survivor Africa. Again, another really old winner in terms of the third season of the show. Which, um, except for Amber, who was on the second season, played the longest time ago. Of course, Amber and Ethan both played on Survivor All-Stars, so they both were from a while ago, in all honesty. But uh, to be honest, Ethan is a wonderful player and a wonderful human who really worked his way through Survivor Africa by being a nice guy. But I'm not sure how that will translate to a more modern game. Every one of these players on these new seasons is looking to make a move and uh, Ethan seems like a player who could be caught in the fold and dragged far through this game without having too much agency for himself but of course that's really how he works he won Survivor Africa by simply being nice and um, he let other people take the hits for him and of course got to the end with somebody he could beat and so he ended up doing that um so, yeah, his charm and great personality could get him far, but the problem with that kind of strategy is that puts a huge target on his back towards the end of the game, especially. Um, nobody has a better story than Ethan with uh, what he's gone through, going through Hodgkin's lymphoma um, and still coming out to play this game. Um, nobody has a better story that they can tell at Final Tribal Council should he make it, so... I don't think the others will let him make it that far. Um, just he's so inspirational as a human that I think that could almost make up for the gaps in his gameplay during the season where he isn't really that cruel, flashy player that a lot of other players are. So I, I don't think he gets that far unless he gets a big immunity run. We'll see how good he is at making fire if he gets that far. That's for sure. But we'll have to wait and see. Um, Spradlin Time is one of the more dominating winners ever. Kim Spradlin of Survivor One World is also returning. I have a huge amount of respect for Kim and the fantastic game she played in One World. But that's exactly why she has a huge target on her back. It's going to have a hard time making inroads with people at the beginning of this game. Like with a lot of these players, if they can form good relationships early, they can go far. That's really the name of the game. Survivor at its heart is a social game, no matter how much people like to talk about the strategy. But if her personality can work her way into the dominating alliance and she can get moving, um, she can do very well. If she gets to the merge, I think she has a good chance of going far, but getting to the merge itself is going to be a huge challenge for her. Everybody is looking straight at Kim as one of the best players in this game of fantastic players. So I think you got to just take her out if you're another survivor on this island. All right. 
Second to last in this episode is Jeremy Collins, winner of one of the most challenging Survivor seasons ever in terms of gameplay. Survivor, Cambodia, second chance. Now, do not get me wrong. Jeremy was a fantastic winner in that second chance season. He navigated his way through terrific gameplay. He had a great story behind him, of course, with his wife being pregnant throughout the entire game and him having to leave her. But, um, uh, like, honestly, looking at his uh, cast interview, I don't think he's going into this game really completely focused on it. He has a lot of stuff going on at home with his family. He has four kids now. Um, I think his mind is in another place. Um, if he can work his in-road magic really like he did last time, he's just a charming family man. Um, I think he will be a good player if he does that. But honestly, if I'm going to give a prediction prediction anytime now, I think he's going to be a pre-merge butte. But once he does that and goes to the edge of extinction and realizes what happens, if he comes back into the game off of edge of extinction, as he is one of those guys who's usually pretty good at challenges, um, I think he has a solid chance of getting getting back into the game and going far. Whether he does that, still got to wait and see. Um, all right, last up is the winner of Survivor, Cal Rong. The most difficult season in terms of just absolute brutality in the show. And the reason why it's always in Fiji now. Um, but Michelle Fitzgerald, winner of that season. Um, I on, I see Michelle Fitzgerald as alongside Kim Spradlin, the ultimate social powerhouse in this game. Um, another player similar to Adam and Denise, who in this game of other powerhouses... Looks to be somebody who can come in under the radar and take power in a strong voting block after the merge. Um, she just really... I just see with Michelle, honestly, like even though she played a very good game in Cal Rong, navigating her way to the end, never out of position of power, but just from being liked and being in the right situations, which is a big part of this game. Um, people aren't looking at her as one of the bigger threats. Um she seemed very confident in her interview, which was a change from Cal Ron because she had a lot of uh, stuff going against her during that season. But uh, I think as the game go goes on, she can uh, take more power in this game with her great social prowess. Just I think she even surprised herself by how much she was able to manipulate things in Cal Ron. But again, at the end of the day, Survivor's a social game, and she plays a very social game. Um I'm honestly, I'm getting dangerously close to choosing her as my winner pick, which I know one of my good friends is not too happy about as he still thinks Aubrey Bracco was robbed of the winner of being the winner of Survivor Cal Rong a while ago. Um, but that is a question for another day, specifically next week as Math with Six, which I've decided over the portion of talking about Survivor for this episode to name it that. Um, Returns next week with the rest of the cast and, yes, indeed, my winner pick. But thank you for tuning in to Hate the Player, Not the Game. First episode of the year, so always a little rough going, but thank you for bearing with me. We'll be a little more smoother next week.
Thank you for listening and make sure to stay tuned for more cases.